Welcome everyone. Again, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the elders here at the church. I'm glad that you've joined us today. We do have some announcements for you as we, uh, as we begin. So we have a men's discipleship cohort uh, starting this Friday. This is really uh, this call for us, uh, the men of the church to come and uh, fellowship together as well as we're going to do some study. You can, uh, we're, we're hoping that all the men of Maranatha come, but you can also invite uh, friends and family from outside of the church to come and join us. It's going to be Friday at 8.30 at night. We chose an evening uh, gathering just to hopefully free up some people. Uh, we also have a Compassion Ministry Outreach happening on Sunday, January 30th, so make sure you sign up for that. There is a limited amount of people that we do have going to those things just so we can be more organized, so you can uh, go to the website and sign up. And we also have a women's Bible study starting Saturday morning on uh, February 5th, 10-week study on February 5th through April 9th. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity, again, for hopefully the women of Maranatha to come together for the study, but you can also invite friends and family members for outside of the church. So we just need to sign up to know how many people are coming to that. So please uh, be a part of that. Also want to remind you of the Connect cards that are in front of you, or if you forget and you get home and you want to do it online, you can go uh, to the front page. There's a, a button there that you can fill out the digital Connect card. But those cards are really there for us to know how we can pray for you or how we might be able to serve you. So please fill those out. You visitors, uh, regular attenders, members, everyone, please, please do that. You can drop them in the baskets up here on the stage or over by the black box or in the black box by the resource wall, which uh, those books are there for everyone to uh, partake of, uh, to understand more about the Bible and therefore more about Christ and therefore love Him in greater ways. All right, let me pray for us and we'll get going. Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for the sunshine on a chilly morning. Uh, we're grateful, Lord, that you... Um, are the one in control of all things. Lord, help us today to uh, understand uh, what you've given to us through your Son in a greater and deeper way. I pray, Lord, that you give us great faith, that you transform um, who we are today, that you continue to make us more into your likeness. Lord, we trust you and we love you. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So we finally made it uh, to our final part, part three in uh, the letter to Philemon. This is one of our shortest series here at Maranatha so far, but it's been uh, quite beneficial in my opinion. Uh, so today we're going to be preaching through verses 17 through 25. So if you want to open your Bibles there, Philemon, verses 17 through 25. Philemon is one chapter. It's right before Hebrews. And if you're using the Bible in front of you, it will be on page 940. And since this is our last sermon in this series, I'll let you know that next week we're actually going to begin another new sermon series. This time it's going to be 12 weeks long, and we're going to be studying through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, so we're going to go into the Old Testament. Uh, Ecclesiastes is a great book, although honestly it's a bit challenging. It's uh, a bit challenging because it gives us real solid wisdom, but it sort of does it in a poetic manner. So it can be kind of hard to, uh, to digest, but we're really looking forward to that as well. Because it's kind of tricky, we're going to resource everyone with a study guide. So this study guide we'll, uh, we'll give to you next Sunday. Hopefully you'll use it throughout the week as well as uh, in your community groups, but it's basically the text so you can uh, work your way through it and digest it, and all of that will make more sense next week when we actually give it to you and further explain what I'm talking about. Now, like I said, this is our third part, really our last part in this study. But before we get into that, I want to remind us about something. I want to remind us really about uh, all of the Bible because um, letters like this letter, like all letters, are meant to be read really in one breath, right? To understand the whole uh, context of what's going on, you should read a letter from start to finish. And since we've chopped up this letter as a way to study it, it's likely 
you may have missed some things if this is the only sermon that you're actually listening to in this sermon series. Therefore, if you're interested in trying to understand the full context and, and really receive the full portion of truth that's in this brief letter, I would suggest that you go back and listen to the other two sermons that are in the sermon archives on the website, all right? Just so you can fully understand this uh, wonderful letter to Philemon from the Apostle Paul. Now, I suggest that because, again, it's really just impossible to take in all of what the Bible teaches if we were to just bounce around from verse to verse or from passage to passage, all right? So with that said, let's go ahead and read our passage for today. And if you would, please stand with me in reverence for God's Word, if you're able. We're going to be reading Philemon, verses 17 through 25. This is what Paul says by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. This be to God. Have a seat. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have this, that we can actually read and hear from you on a daily basis. I pray, Lord, that you give us a thirst and a desire to know you and that we seek you uh, through your word. Uh, let us be a church that desires relationship with you as you have done so much for us. In Christ's name and the power of the Spirit, amen. Uh, last week, um, Last week, uh, I said that it's here in verse 17 that Paul finally really spells out what he wants to ask of Philemon. So far, this entire letter really has been about Paul uh, layering and layering his appeal so that when he makes the ask to Philemon, he's confident that he will make the right choice. He's been trying to prepare Philemon for what he's about to ask, so he makes the right choice, or as Paul says it in verse 8, to do what is required, all right? Now, we already know what Paul wants. Paul is expecting Philemon to forgive Onesimus because, uh, because they both possess redemption, therefore they both have reconciliation with God, and that also was, excuse me, also why they should ma- try to maintain and restore their own fellowship. So they have redemption, they uh, therefore have restoration or reconciliation rather with God and therefore that is why they should try to maintain or in fact restore their own relationship, their own fellowship with one another. Now looking at verse 17, what we see is that Paul is so desirous that this were to happen that he actually leverages his own relationship that he has with Philemon. He leverages what he has. Paul says, receive him, that is receive Onesimus, receive him as you would receive me. Receive Onesimus as you would receive me, Paul. Now, at first, that might not sound as profound as it actually is. It's just like, well, that was kind of him. You know, he's kind of vouching for him. 
But if we read the next verse, we might better understand what's actually happening. Look at verse 8. Paul then says, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now for a moment, let's think back and consider all that has happened or all we've, we've sort of talked about. Onesimus, who was Philemon's slave, ran away. Then at some point he met Paul and through Paul's ministry, Onesimus becomes a Christian. Now, through that process, or after his salvation, Onesimus must have told Paul of his betrayal to Philemon, which is why Paul then sends Onesimus back to this city in Colossae, back to Onesimus, in order to reconcile his relationship with Onesimus. Now, what Paul has not done at all in this letter is take sides. Right? We haven't seen him take sides at all. He's not saying that Onesimus is not guilty. And he's not saying to Philemon that you should bring about some form of punishment. Rather, he says to Philemon, essentially, my friend, Philemon, my friend, if you feel owed something because of what Onesimus has done to you, let me pay that debt for him. That's really all that he is saying. If Onesimus has done something that you feel owed, let me pay that debt for him. You see, what Paul has done is he brings all of this back, everything that he's saying, back to the peace that we can have because of the grace that we've received. That's what he's seeking. He's seeking the, to, to uh, foster the peace that we can have because of the grace that we've received. I tell my girls this. We watch movies and they're like, Dad, this story sounds familiar. I'm like, yeah, it does. Because every story tells the story of the gospel. Every story tells the story of the gospel because the truth is always present. And again, what's going on is that Paul is willfully leveraging his own relationship in order to release Onesimus of his debt. He's saying, Philemon, my friend, because of our brotherhood, because of our relationship, do for him what you would do for me. Does this sound at all familiar? Right? Of course it does. Of course it sounds familiar. What we see in Paul's actions is what we're actually taught about Christ in regards to our own redemption, right? This is what the Bible, the entire uh, scripture, the entire canon, the full narrative of the gospel, of the Bible is talking about. What we see in Paul's action is what we're taught about Christ in regards to our own redemption. Jesus, who is Christ the Son willfully stepped in for us, right? He willfully stepped in for us. He was made to be sin on our behalf so that we could receive or we could be received by God the Father. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. He stepped in for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So in a way, as Paul is doing this, in the way of emulating Christ, Paul asks Philemon to impute the kind of welcome to Onesimus that Paul would have deserved, which then includes Paul taking on the debt that Onesimus owes Philemon. This is, again, what the entire letter is about. This is what the entire letter is about. This letter is about how our redemption naturally includes our reconciliation with God and with one another. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done because we all are created in the image of God. Therefore, we all have the opportunity 
to receive forgiveness. We are all created in the image of God, which means our worth and dignity comes from God. Therefore, we must then treat one another accordingly. How we live with one another does matter. Now, I don't want to make us confused in this. I don't want us to be confused. I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm not simply saying just get along to, to, uh, to, to be kind to one another. Don't just pretend that you can put up with each other because what matters most is what motivates our heart. What matters most is what is motivating our heart. If you truly want those feelings of peace that the gospel can provide, If you truly want the feelings of peace that the grace of the gospel promises, you must first yield your life to Christ. That is where true fulfillment and real redemption and reconciliation and forgiveness comes from. Knowing the truth isn't enough. Just simply knowing the truth that the gospel, that the gospel story is not enough. Even believing that that story is true is not enough. It's James 2. You must trust in who the truth is. Believing is one thing, knowing that it's true is another, yielding your life to it is a whole different story. That's where the change comes. Because as a child of God, we are found in Christ. We must believe, we must, we must know, we must believe, and we must trust. And what that means is this. What it means to be found in Christ is this, that God the Father has chosen to identify us with His Son, and He does that to the degree that He will joyfully receive us as the Son. Right, let, me, let me just say that again, because it is just it is the entirety of this, the thrust of this. God the Father has chosen to identify us with His Son, and He does that to the degree that He will joyfully receive us as His Son. Ephesians 1, verses 5 through 6, they tell us, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the beloved. God has willfully brought us into His eternal kingdom. That is what He has done. He has adopted us into His eternal kingdom. Eternal kingdom. Now, God does love His people, but when we're talking about forgiveness, something more is required. All right, We can really uh, understand a lot of this when we talk about God's love, but when we talk about forgiveness, something else is required. God doesn't just save us by His love. That can sound shocking. God doesn't just save us by His love, sort of like how our faith isn't what saves. Rather, in regards to our faith, it's the object of that faith that we're actually saved. And when it comes to our forgiveness, it's about what God did because He was motivated by that love. Do you understand? It's not just love. It's what he did because he was motivated by that love. We can't just simplify God's saving grace or the gospel to only be about love. We can't just simplify it by it just being about love. After, after all, God loves the entire world. But what we are taught in the Bible is not the whole world will be saved. God's grace is given to us, yes, because of his love, 
but the necessary matter of the fact is that his grace, this grace, paid the necessary price for those whom he knew would love him back. That's what Ephesians is telling us. It is what the gospel is declaring to us. Because God is perfect and holy, there was no way that he could ignore the debt for sin that he was owed. He couldn't ignore it. If he did, he would no longer then be just. God must be faithful to his own law. Therefore, because of his love, he decided to pay the debt himself. The wrong had to be made right. So anything that was owed to him would be put on his account. Anything that we owed would be put on his account. In the first, um, in the first sermon of this series, I told you that this letter really wasn't about a lot of doctrine. Well, surprise, that's really all you've been hearing this entire time. All you've been hearing about is doctrine. And what I'm preaching on right now, what we're talking about, is the doctrine of imputation. Now, what that means is this. When Jesus died on the cross, our debt of sin was put on him, and he was treated the way that we have been, should have been treated. And when we put our faith and trust in him, when we yield our life to him, his righteousness is put on us, which then allows God to accept us, to really receive us as he does his own son. And this exists. God's son did that so that we could be in a right, eternal relationship with him for his glory and our good. That's the doctrine of imputation. God has done it for us, and we are given what he has. Everything that he has done is so he could give us everything that he has. That is the glorious news of the gospel. And that is what Paul is modeling here. That's what Paul is actually modeling in this relationship with Philemon in regards to Onesimus. On his behalf, his dear brother Onesimus, and to his dear brother Philemon. Practically then, what that teaches us is that when we participate in true forgiveness, we experience the work of the gospel. When we as people of the church, when we participate, when we give ourselves over to real, true, heartfelt forgiveness, we can experience the work of the gospel. Now, what happens next shows us that that experience is not just for us, all right? That experience is not just meant for us. Forgiveness is actually how we model the gospel. Look at verse 19. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I will write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you, and so does Mark, Ariostarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. We see in these final few verses is that even though Paul is writing to one man, although he's only writing to Philemon, the entire church is involved. Paul says to prepare a room because he's hoping to visit them soon. And since the you in verse 22 in the Greek is plural, what we read is that Paul is requesting prayers from the whole church. He hopes to visit the whole church. He hopes to engage and meet them, and he wants prayers for them. He wants prayers that he can actually come and visit them. 
And he calls to the whole church because he expects that the whole church is going to hear this letter that he wrote to Philemon. It's going to be read in front of the entire church. He also includes a greeting from the men that are with him because these men would have known of Philemon. They may have met Philemon. They would have likely have understood or known about the situation and therefore likely also they knew what Paul expected of Philemon in regards to Onesimus. Again, this is a very public matter. Now maybe Paul wrote this, uh, he, he wrote this last part in order to put pressure on Philemon, to sort of guilt Philemon into forgiving Onesimus because if he didn't, people would see that, they would know, but I don't think so. I just don't imagine that Paul would have felt the need to manipulate Philemon in this way. Instead, again, I think he includes the whole church because forgiveness is not a private matter. Remember, Philemon was a leader in the church, right? He was a, sort of, a, in a way, a public figure, and Philemon truly was betrayed. He lost something when Onesimus sinned against him by running away. And I said this before, regardless of how we feel about slavery, it did operate differently at that time. Therefore, because Philemon probably lost out on quite a substantial investment, which could have affected a lot of people, it could have affected quite a few circumstances, Philemon could have been justified in his anger and brought about real punishment as well it would have been likely that the rest of the church and even maybe the entire city would have known about this betrayal. But being right doesn't negate the command to forgive, right? Being right doesn't negate the command to forgive. Therefore, if Philemon did follow through with Paul's appeal, which only makes sense that he did because it's here in the Bible... If he did forgive Onesimus, if he did do the work of receiving and restoring their relationship, it would have been an incredible testimony to everyone. It would have been an incredible testimony to the fact that Christ's love is real and we can experience through one another. This is about fellowship. This entire letter is about relationship and fellowship with God and with one another through Philemon's Philemon's willingness to reconcile with Onesimus, the entire household of faith would have been refreshed. Or just as Paul uh, encouraged Philemon earlier in the letter, says, you've re- you have refreshed the, the saints of the church, refreshed my heart, he asks. Through this willingness, he would have done just that because everyone would have seen just how powerful forgiveness is. Maranatha, our forgiveness and faith in Christ is a gift like none other. Like none other. And at times, because it is like nothing else in this world, it can overwhelm us. It is, it is sometimes just indescribable. When we're faced with the reality that we need forgiveness, and we recognize that it is available, and in fact that we have received it, sometimes it just feels like too much. It just feels like too much because it's not something that we actually do deserve. Maranatha, we must accept the truth that our faith was given to us for fellowship, for relationship with God and one another. Fellowship with God and with one another. As well, that our salvation comes with obligations. We have been given a new life in Christ with purpose. It's not just a given to all your own desires even if they're good and right, 
and holy. Our salvation comes with obligations. Again, obligations to God and to one another. In the Bible, there is no such thing as an isolated Christian. In the Bible, there is no such thing of a, of a kind of real faith that is private. What we do and how we live for God and towards one another declares to the world who we worship, not just what, who. Now, as we end this series, I want to end with something more powerful than my words. I want to end with what Jesus prays over his people. Before he went to the cross, he sat in the garden and he prayed to his Father in heaven. And he says this, this is John 17, 16 through 22. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world for the sake of For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Maranatha, not just because it's a new year, not just because our church seems to continue to grow, but as we continue together, as we continue forward, let this always be true of us, that we are united and that we seek and we strive for forgiveness, for reconciliation, that we lead with fellowship, because by our love, the world will know that we are his. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of forgiveness. Thank you for, oh, the promise of the gospel, Lord. It is overwhelming. It is hard sometimes to to really grasp the fact that we are yours, that you have given us all of the worthiness and righteousness of your Son. We are undeserving, Lord, but that's the message. We don't have to be right because your Son is. Thank you for the fact that he has given us all that we have by giving away all that belongs to him. Lord, help us to remove our hearts to let the, the cross weigh upon us in a healthy, right manner, Lord. Thank you for the refuge and the rest that we have in you. Thank you for the peace that we have because of the grace that we've received. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.